Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This week, we're covering Season 1, Episode 7, titled Mysteries and Martyrs. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron, what do you think of Mysteries and Martyrs? Uh, I, I want to see the Invictus fire up. I want to see yeah. it. I want to see it uh, kill a world. Uh, I mean, that's, so, that's any world. That's, will uh, do, you know, yeah, Aspis, yeah, that's, that's bloodlust on a cosmic scale. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, it looks kind of fucking cool. Like uh, I've seen what the Imperial battlecruisers look like with their little spheres and open up black holes and things. I want to see this thing rip a rip a hole in time and space and kill a world. Sorry. Yeah, how do you think it does it? Sorry, does that it, makes me a monster. Does it generate <laughs> uh, a black hole with a center of a world and just get it? Or I, I mean, yeah, would just like being in orbit uh, of a world while it uses its engine destroy it? Like just rip it apart with tidal forces? Fuck, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, but, I want to uh, see it fire up too. I'm, I, I imagine it's probably just like a big laser, like a Death Star or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They've got some really unique ways to visualize things yeah. in this universe. Um, I, I really, yeah. I th- there's a lot of cool things I like just from a world building standpoint. Like I thought some of that nanotechnology stuff remar- reminds me of a lot of uh, the Margaret Weiss's uh, Star of the Guardians, where she had like uh, similar kind of thing with imper- some some kind of empire, and they had royal blood, but what it actually was was nanotechs running, and it, it powered their technology and gave him kind of like force powers, and th- th- this, this like, when they, they cut the guy's hand, it instantly stitched back. I just thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the other stuff, like, this was, I guess, the three-step Martin reveal. Like, we had surmised a lot of uh, what we had thought was going on with the Raish and the uh, Harry Seldon and the Gale switcheroo. And this uh, episode did a lot to kind of crystallize that. Um, so, yeah, I thought uh, and, and it was moving forward the story of the Empire. I'm, I am I, I cannot imagine, you know, t- next episode supposedly is Goyer's favorite one that he thinks is going to really. Mm-hmm. flipper noodles and I, I just can't imagine where this this uh story is going to go uh it's probably replacing the one of the cl- the, the the clone i ima- uh, i imagine but uh <laughs> yeah yeah that clone stuff they unfold in this episode that it's not just like hey we've got a new don kind of cooking while the old don is aging it's no we've got clones of every every age ready to go we were in case anything happens. We were happens. wondering about this, and they're all instantly synced through some kind of Wi-Fi, mental Wi-Fi chip. It, it just, like, um, blows the doors off the possibilities. Because, like, I, th- there's another part of this episode that I really love, which is the Halima stuff um, and the, yeah. the what's going on with this great spiral, and it's such kind of a, a, a cool, you know, pilgrimage uh, backstory, mythos, world-building stuff for this religion. Um. And at the end, in what I think is a great, uh, a a brilliant political play here, um, you know, Empire, Brother Day says, hey, I'm going to walk the spiral. That combined with the clone stuff, I I wonder if there's any chance that he dies on the spiral because I don't I don't know that he's like equipped for this unless nano blood nanobot blood does well, something for your vitals yeah. or something because he doesn't ever make it outside the palace right he's not exactly hardened uh to, no. to the weather conditions here on this planet but what if he were to die on this and you know his clone is sort of 
they cheat the system, right? They they could potentially bring a clone in and say, "Hey, he made it great. He's fine." And he actually he made it in perfect shape, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering like uh if there's going to be you know, they do the equivalent of like leaving the marathon at the first mile marker and cutting through, <laughs> right. you getting know, a few coffee. blocks and then, and yeah, getting, and then, and running back. Like, are they, or, or this is kind of like, uh, what was that bear grills guy? Like, Oh, I'm out in the wilderness oh. and I'm doing a grueling thing. And in between takes or staying at a five-star hotel. Like, yeah. uh, will, uh, will any of the Zephyrs, will Zephyr Halima like buy into that or she better sniff it out. And cause mm-hmm. it seems like if he does die and then is reincarnated and tries to say like, that's going to just play right into her hands of like, well, of course, you know, you're soulless. You couldn't complete the spiritual odyssey. Yeah. So this is, and, and this is the stuff I loved about like game of Thrones, right? This, this back and forth push and pull of the, the po- politics in play. And it's got to be telling that he has. We have no idea what the fuck the spiral is because the episode didn't do anything but show that it's relatively grueling to the human physique and it like yeah. blisters you and can blind you and can kill you. Um, and I think that, yeah, like uh, it, it, I think you're supposed to understand that he's being foolhardy uh, by doing this. But like I said, it might be it might be the thing that needs to cling to power for another generation. Yeah, uh, we'll we'll see for sure. Uh, the other part of this episode with Harry Seldon, uh, his sort of consciousness coming back in the form of this ship um, digitized, I thought was super cool. Um, like you said, that that three stage reveal stuff, um, we'd guessed pretty much all this, but it was good to get confirmation. And I think the way that they explained it, how, you know, this has to do with the the, the reason they couldn't be together was not just because, you know, they were going to like oh love each other too much and that would throw off the course of history no it was they both needed to be in different places and they didn't think he didn't think that they would ever let that happen unless he broke this up uh permanently so yeah i I bought that explanation i think a lot of people are going to are going to start pointing fingers at this and saying well now he's predicting the actions of individuals using psycho history i know those arguments are coming um I don't have great refutations beyond what we've already said for that stuff. So I'm not going to go super far into it, but I, I really appreciated this stuff. I liked it. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think that people need, this is something I've been kind of increasingly aware of as we look into the feedback is like this people hung, hang up about, um, being unable to predict, predict individual actions versus engineering the narrative. Mm hmm. Like there is a difference, and I, I feel like we've we've uh, described that, and then there's also some gray areas where it's like, boy, boy, the it's a fine line between engineering the narrative and predicting individual, especially when you're hairy and you're trying to react rely on essentially your most trusted advisors to carry out their engineering part of the plan, right? You know, mm-hmm. like if Raish like like Raish throws a monkey wrench, and who knows what the hell that's going to do, um. But yeah, I, I thought that uh, I, I agree. I think there's going to be increasingly people who are just like, well, this is stupid. It seems like it's arbitrary. But to me, it's like, like I said, this feels like there's bright white lines and then there's gray in the middle. And that's where interesting stories are, are take place. And, yeah. and it, I, I guess it occurs to me we should do a better job of explaining our terminology. Uh, the three step Martin reveal mm. is something that came out of our Game of Thrones coverage when I, I the, we, we read an interview where Martin explains the way he likes to like do secrets like and lore and like reveals for like big events is he 
he he always has a three step process where he has some hints that are so subtle that like only one out of a thousand readers will pick it up on so like the they're very sharp or the people that just have a relation to the thing. Then he throws some reveals that like people who are just, you know, kind of paying attention, but maybe are not the, the, the sharpest tack or the, maybe they're not reading in the closest that they'll get it. And then there's the third step where he just essentially smacks you in the face with like, here's what's happening mm-hmm. just to make sure everyone is caught up before the story goes on. And I, and I feel yeah. like I've, I've seen when I became aware of that pattern, I see it in a lot of what I would call, you know, superior works of fiction. Uh, it's not hand holding you and it gives everyone kind of an opportunity to feel clever. Um, and if you do it right, even the people who are like, you know, getting slapped in the face still have that amazing kind of kind kind of reaction to it. So I thought that yeah. the, the this this season seems to be doing the stuff around Raish and Gale and Harry uh, in that kind of Martin three step fashion. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, this is not new information. But then again, we're kind of like the one percent of people who are watching this two and three times and getting on the message boards and listen to the official podcast and reading the Argentinian translations of short stories, <laughs> and, you know, do it. So like, yeah, it's 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 not new to us. But then we've been looking at this stuff through a magnifying glass and a lot of our guesses have been right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the piece of information, I guess, that is new here is that Harry has uh, transcended death. Uh, not just as a martyr and as a, a symbol to the foundation, but sort of physically, right? He's digitized his consciousness. He can now appear and act as Harry. Uh, of course, he can't be both a martyr and still alive in some form. So he can't really use this as like a, a way to personally become the faith, the face of the foundation again, really. But he could exert some influence at, even after his death on the development of the foundation and the course of uh, history here. Well, it's also not clear to me when he digitizes conscious as whether that's a perfect copy, whether this is like a construct, like it's, uh, you know, all of his memories. But of course, you know, like, is it still strictly speaking human in his motivations and his desires and the way it uh you know, I, I know there's a certain coldness about Harry and maybe that's because, you know, we're 35 years after his death and things are gone wrong and he needs people to fucking shut up and start doing what he tells. I, I don't know. But like it's uh-huh. I think it's an open question. And this might be because I just read that the Children of Time and there's a big plot about people loading their consciousness into various constructs and like what kind of resolution you get and what kind of degradation you get and like uh you know, if if, uh, if once that consciousness construct lasts longer than human lifespans, does anything weird happen? Like, that's the great thing about these science fiction concepts is like, oh, he uploaded his consciousness. I know ex- kind of what that means, but what flavor of consciousness upload are we getting? Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a little. It's going to be kind of it's going to take me aback, I should say, if this is a 100 percent fidelity. This is just Harry Seldon, yeah. you know. Um, but on the other hand, I guess this version of Harry Seldon is very much a master manipulator. So, you know, if he can have a hundred percent good copy of him pulling the the ropes and, and the levers behind the curtain, maybe that's exactly what he wants. And he seems comfortable just fooling people, um, lying yeah. to them, manipulating them, even the people he's closest to for again, the greater good, but that's still. Yeah, we had a taste uh, of that early on in the season, like maybe episode one, even we we kind of understood that Harry was not above, you know, a little uh, right. nudging of history. Right. 
but yeah, now we see this... that he is just full on engineering it. Yeah, come join this math contest to get you off this planet that you're probably marked for death on. Oh, you're going to get arrested by the Empire and put on trial immediately. Ha, mm-hmm. Forgot to put that in the fine print. Should have been might kill you uh, along with me. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, your head might be in a chopping block. You might be taking a slow boat to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might get framed for my murder. Uh, yeah, there's like there's all, all kinds of things he knew and didn't know and, and didn't share. It's interesting, um, though, that his plan seemed to involve Gale running Terminus, and obviously that didn't happen. But what right. does that look like if... I mean, does Gale go on even if the Emperor decides to behead Harry or whatever right then and there during the trial? Does 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 Terminus ever get developed? Does Gale ever become the leader of Terminus? Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's the understanding I had that it looked like, uh, the, the, if one of the middle paths the emperor took was executing Harry and then exiling all of his students. Cause he had quite the following, uh, to terminus and then Gail, you know, would, I okay. guess be the one who could, you know, most understand. And she's the yeah. one that'd be pouring over to sacred texts and reveal like, yeah, yeah, you can, I mean, they, they nakedly make the allusion to religion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she's like, this, this wasn't what this was supposed to be. You're not a God. And, um, but, uh, Harry's like, well, I'm not, not a God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any more than emperor is interesting, interesting stuff. A, mm-hmm. a new side to Harry for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get into the actual episode recap, but first let's take a quick break. There's no voiceover this time. Instead, we jump right into uh, where we left off. Salvor's piloting Hugo's ship to the Anthor belt, where they find the Invictus. Uh, They have the Imperial officer whose nanobot-infused blood is the key to boarding, but Invictus defense systems are still active, um, so they're going to have to be careful how they approach it, uh, because the Anachrons have already lost two ships attempting to get onto. Yeah, that was all, I mean, again, this is stunning space opera, this establishing shot of, what is it, the beggar, the vagabond, I forget what the, I don't the, remember the name, the, 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 uh, the Dickinson street urchin, whatever this guy's ship's the name Razor is, Crest, I think, uh, it, it, yeah, it floating, <laughs> it floating through space in this, like, you know, and this is, uh, another sci-fi trope, uh, asteroid field, this dense, right, um, you know, just 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 loaded with bric-a-brac and all that stuff. Uh, it, it's right out of the of the Hoth system, uh, but it is undeniably cool. I mean, this is mm-hmm. kind of the swashbuckling. This is the intersection of the hard sci-fi and the swashbuckling, uh, kind of forties and fifties serialized science fiction that uh, I I quite enjoy. Um, yeah, so I I liked it. I liked it. And there's a lot of like little hints because I'm I'm. I have some theories about stuff that's happened in this episode that relies on you paying attention to these abandoned mining facilities yeah. and the fact that Hugo is very familiar with them. Um, and uh, yeah, I, what what do you think about that kind of like, you know, they're 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 telling, not showing, but like revealing here in episode seven, like what the Empire's contraction has kind of done to the outer systems. Uh, I thought it was a really cool piece of world building. Um, cause we just skipped over all that. Right. So, you know, of course the empire would withdraw their technological support after the, the terrorist quote unquote terrorist attack. Um, so yeah, it makes kind of perfect sense. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't help but draw allusions to Afghanistan. You know, sure. uh, of course, this was all done before Afghanistan fell. But, you know, uh, a lot of smart people said, oh, the army would last for three or six months, a year. But without the United States actively providing like intelligence, uh, material support, maintenance to the equipment, uh, they were taught a very United States way of doing warfare. And then all of our superior information capabilities and and logistics and things like that were taken from them and they didn't know what to do. They fell. And I feel like that's the exact it's not it's not that the Empire bombed the shit out of an Acreon and Thespis. It's that they then just completely withdrew and all that technology that they relied on to make their technology work uh, just crashed and whole industries died. Probably, you know, like even more devastating than the attack on their home worlds was the economic, uh, you know, devastation. So, yeah, it's, I thought that was in the tension between like, you know, this, this guy, uh, Hugo uh, making his own way versus had you abandoned your people versus what's one less mouth for, you know, to, to, to be, scrapping over what's left over I, I thought that stuff was really really interesting and well done yeah i do get the feeling that uh farah is not totally wrong here um I, I think hugo's using this justification of one less mouth to feed to make himself feel better partially um yeah. about you know taking to the skies here but yeah i think there's also it's not a wholly unjustified justification yeah, I mean, it's one of those things like it's hard to judge a refugee's justification for their actions, you know, because sure. they're they're by definition, you know, uh, desperate. Mm-hmm. I and I guess we're going to grant that you can't just cut your way into this battle cruiser, like you can't yeah. pull an expanse and get a blowtorch out and just cut it. It's made out of some unobtainium tech that maybe an imperial team could cut their way into, though they wouldn't have to, but. Because I was thinking, I was like, do I really buy? And I'm like, yeah, I guess with the technological level that the Anacreans have shown and how like the Empire is just a whole other level beyond them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they probably it, it probably is beyond even the tech of Terminus at this point to to brute force their way into it. So they have to, you know, uh, I guess my my I will I will renew my objections for their wanton pell-mell destruction of so many specialists and scientists on Terminus because I don't know, maybe bring two or three hyperspace mm-hmm. engineers and environmental <laughs> technicians if you're gonna have have a few kicked in some cooling reactor pools or whatever yeah they seem um, to be dropping oh, like flies just now <laughs> but uh what are you what are you gonna do what are you gonna do they only had the one commander i get that um, yeah yeah so they established that you know he also has the nanotech in his blood and that that is the key to getting into the invictus like you're talking about um Showing that it's not just, you know, the emperor who has this stuff. It's everyone who kind of serves the emperor. I do wonder how far that extends and how, how, you know, low in the ranks that goes. Does Azura have, um, does a gardener for, yeah, right. Does, does a gardener get the nanotech? Um, does the person she's talking about with this some, you really think you're the first who wanted that nanotechnology out? Does she, did she take it out? How would she interface with the palace? Like, I assume Man, this-, this stuff is really yeah and I and and I think it's telling that they reveal this technology all in the same episode even though it's it, it's yeah. it's kind of forked into two different things because like this is going to be a big part of like I think the puzzle going forward because um, mm-hmm. I yeah there, I got I, I got so many theories about what's going on with the the youngest Cleon right now and, and it's slightly different 
from the genetic uh, identification stuff that Terminus is doing, right? They're, they're seem, they seem to be using some sort of genetic scan, not nanotechnology right. that transmits but to it. But related? So because it's gotta be, yeah. You know, Salver can, can like, even though the technology is described as archaic and very old, uh, it's something that she is able to essentially move a couple jumpers on uh <laughs> on a imperial circuit board and and re-encode it for everybody so it's not yeah like alien tech you right know? right so i i don't know all this stuff is really cool and like i said it opens kind of doors to possibilities here and they had the, 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 right before we get to the rules of the space jump because they're about to explain them um they're getting suited up and salvor there's this Key surreptitiously asked Hugo if he, she thinks those mining bases might still have active comms. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. I'd have to check one out to see. Uh, and then the commander surreptitiously mentions that he has a distress beacon uh, in his head. And if he can get to something called a, uh, a, a dispatch capsule, he can get word out. Now, yeah, th- that was confusing to me, but it turns out it doesn't matter because he's going to get that distress <laughs> signal blown out the side of his skull. So, but the first, right. the first thing about the mining colonies and their comms gear, you might want to remember. You mm-hmm. might want to remember before you start crying too many tears about Hugo. Yeah, I think that's very much in play. We, we didn't set up the second part of this scene, but Harden and the crew oh, suit up. They, you know, jump off of the, the ship they're on toward the Invictus and they land on it. Um, Hugo, though, misses the platform, misses the inner ring and just goes flying off into empty space. Uh, yeah, I, I guarantee he'll be back. There's no way he's not going to be back. They spent too much time building this relationship and she didn't have enough time to grieve or any time to grieve at all. The, the, the reaction we get is too small. So he's almost certain to get back. Yeah. Although I will feel, cause I, I 100% co-sign all that stuff. I think mm-hmm. they're doing a great job of showing that she is trying to sell her grief, but it's not like the grief. I mean, we've seen her lose her shit over her dad, right? Just exactly. Last, like, yeah. And I think Hugo would get like uh, in the neighborhood of a dad sized grief reaction. Mm-hmm. And, and this ain't it. So I'm assuming, but I'm going to feel, <laughs> I'm going to feel vicariously bad if it turns out he's just dead. It will be kind of awesome performance. if that's the yeah. case. Uh, we just never see <laughs> uh, Hugo again. Yeah. And I was looking for other signs because like, you know, he's got to get to a, like, there is to put it mildly, not a mining platform on this battle cruiser. Mm-hmm. So I was actually wondering if they, there, there was going to be the hint of a facility in the asteroids beyond him as he was like floating in that direction. But I guess if he's, if he's fibbing about his jets, he can just, doesn't matter if he's not in the right direction for a mining thing. He can just jet like correct his course and, and get going. Also, um, uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the shape of a ring, but it has mm-hmm. like, two opportunities to latch onto it if you miss the first True. one you True. got you the other the side, side of the ring plus this is like rings within rings they, they mentioned the inner one is the only yeah. one that will latch you into the airlock but there's a whole bunch of other rings if you're just wanting to like grab onto something and kick off so mm-hmm. yeah no i don't i don't think we've seen the last of hugo and i, <laughs> I mean there are other asteroids little... i mean there, there's 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 debris there's matter yes. everywhere here i mean he could definitely get a little uh boost yeah. of momentum so um fair is a crazy person right oh Who yeah the, like if you you need the warden uh and and she's getting ready to make this precisely controlled jump that's perilous and you just like kick like 
This is something, this is an ill-advised prank for like an experienced parachute team. She's mm-hmm. just crazy. Yeah, I almost wanted like her second to shoot her a, a look when she did that. Like, Yeah, like you're playing a little like, y- yeah, you, you need to prioritize yeah. your revenge levels and your goals, <laughs> right. you know? Like yeah, fucking sure. with the warden is is way below activating this thing and ramming it up the Empire's ass. It seems to me anyway. Yeah. Uh, so then we go back over to the Maiden, uh, where the Demerzel and Brother Day are still docked. Um, they're on their ship, and Brother Day rightfully wants to know why she knelt in the last episode. And boy, this we is were the scene. For. Yep, <laughs> I was waiting for. He's not exactly impressed with her justifications. And then an assistant comes in and reports that Halima is now the front runner um, to to take over the uh, Proxima position. And Day decides to figure out what Halima wants uh, from him. I like that um, Empire is smart enough to see the inherent uh, paradox here in what, uh, you know, this yeah. is this is begging the question, like literally, like, well, <laughs> sure. how could how could I possibly betray the Empire if uh, I, it's impossible for me to betray an Empire? Everything that I'm physically allowed to do by my programming must be in furtherance of the Empire because otherwise I wouldn't allow to do it. It's a nice little tautology and he's like, yeah, it's it's amazing how that uh, conveniently justifies any action you could possibly take. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. But the thing is, is I also think she's right. You know? Yeah, I mean, understanding, I guess, the laws, Asimov's laws of robotics the way that I do believe it believes me to think that this is not you know some grand plan by an evil robot i guess it's just the the views of what is good for the empire versus brother day um are are slightly different and one of those takes precedence yeah and he you know also kind of threatens her with you know you're not exactly right with god on the old you know uh, reincarnation cycle either and I wonder what the hell you know mm-hmm. uh, Zephyr Halima would think of that like threatening her with her contradiction of the faith and obviously I don't think that uh, yeah I don't know what Demerzel thinks like does she because uh, unfortunately I've known a lot of like closeted Christians that were like, gay that deny it because they want to maintain their adherence to the faith so it's like I wonder if sure. uh, she could be like a self-hating ro- robot <laughs> That thinks that she is an abomination, but also God's right. So, what are you going to do? Uh, I want. Yeah. I wonder which possibility is is more to the, the 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 point that they're driving at. And I wonder where the laws of robotics um, would intersect with just her belief system in the first place. Is this something that she can only do because she views it as being in the best interest, like being a luminist is in the best interest of the empire or can she, you know, take actions outside of those laws without directly being ordered to if they don't like conflict with any of those laws. Does does she have her own agency outside of those rules? Yeah. There's like, and and how far down does it go? Does like, when she's considering what dress to wear, this is like, is it like a Terminator vision where it's like, right. There's a green outfit and then yellow outfits and a red. Those, these are not loyal to the empire. This is the one you got like, like where, how much personal. Yeah. Like 
would she be allowed to participate as a luminist if this was against like broadly speaking the empire like where how much autonomy does she have mm-hmm. um is there any kind of shades of gray there like you know we talked about and i, I think there are and i think the day realizes that and gotta we gotta sneak in nefarious robot situations what i'm saying yeah maybe not nefarious just not working toward uh the immediate goals of the emperor who knows I've realized I've kind of become an imperial loyalist. I, this is the thing. I have man. started to pull for like the genetic dynasty, even though I've seen their monsters, but they're like Lee Pace is so charming. <laughs> and uh, he is. You know, Brother Dusk has got such amazing gray hair that I've, I'm, yeah, I, this, mm-hmm. I'm a fucking imperial bootlicker, it turns out. All right, we got to talk about the next scene because this is I'm, where I'm, I, run I try into to lick the boots and just the, the gold shield won't let me. Just, ah, I just kind of <laughs> constantly slow tongue, my tongue gets the worm. Hey, Ron, the, come on. The slow tongue tastes the boot. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about the next scene because, yes, I need to talk about this uh, in my, my personal conflict. Uh, Brother Day visits the uh, camp outside of the Great Spiral, which is a luminous holy site. And tries to negotiate with Halima and she makes it crystal clear that she is not willing to negotiate at all. Um, Okay. Is Halima a protagonist? Because when I when I watch this scene and when I watch the scenes before, I find myself not rooting for any of these people to succeed. Maybe, maybe Dimmerzel, maybe. But. I I know I know that the empire is not going to succeed, right? And I don't think that replacing the empire with a a religion is necessarily an upgrade. I think those are at best yeah. trading sideways. Yeah, it's like it's the similar thing when you're watching Dune. It's like, oh yeah, fuck these Harkonnens and the Empire, but ooh, holy war, jihad, galaxy in flames. <laughs> that isn't right? yeah, that doesn't necessarily sound better. Um, but but yeah, you're right. Like three uh, a three trillion strong holy war splitting the Empire in two doesn't sound like it's. Uh, and that's the other thing. It's like, am I really rooting for the Empire? or Am I rooting for the peace and stability of an entire galaxy? Because I right. think. That's constantly what you got to, you, you know, your war between like pragmatism and, you know, th- th- that 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 kind of like, well, I guess if you kill a thousand people and it saves a billion that 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 math checks out versus, well, don't we hold that all lives are, are sacred and on any individual lost is a, is a loss to us all. You know, no man's an island kind of thing. Um, sure. And it's like when you're talking like trillions of people, it's. Whew, that 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 calculus i mean that gets that gets real hard so i mm-hmm. i don't know because like i thought that they were this was going to be a high sparrow thing where it's like well you know just like the guy in, in game of thrones like uh he appears very pious and he's trying to but like clearly he is also you know has has delusions of grandeur is serving his own power is you know mm-hmm. is is ambitious um, but like she's presenting as like, nah, I just think you're evil. I think this is bad for the galaxy. And yeah, you know, uh, and then maybe she's influenced a little bit by Harry Seldon. Cause I couldn't help but notice she name checked him, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if she's a protagonist or not, because like you said, the opposite mm-hmm. of crazy is still crazy. Sure. Uh, the opposite of genetic dynasty. If it's holy war, then that's not the answer either. 
But uh, right. it does seem like she's a true believer, which makes her mm-hmm. extraordinarily dangerous to the Empire. Oh, yeah. And and with her charisma and influence, yeah, it's 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 a problem for the Empire. And And I'm not saying that not having a clear protagonist here makes this scene bad. I think that it is still super fascinating to watch all of this unfold. I just think I, I'm not necessarily rooting for any of these people to win, even if I am like on the edge of my seat to see how it plays out. Yeah. And there's a lot of really subtle stuff, like the fact that empire is very good at grandiose gestures and, but he's very bad at personal stuff. Like, you know, he wants to make the grandiose gesture of grabbing this pilgrim and holding his hand. But then when the man like holds him back, he's like, Oh my God, a leper's touching me. Like Mm -hmm. there's it that constantly. uh, And the fact that he just can't grapple with the idea that this woman is acting on some belief that doesn't involve like the primacy of herself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I thought that stuff was all really great. And some of the dialogue, you know, that yes. you call yourself brothers, but you're just a reverberation of a dead man's ego. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soul, a soulless creature cannot recognize itself. There's a lot of like, you know, alien psychology and philosophy here that sounded, sounded good when they're, when they're talking about it. So, and sets up, uh, you know, the turn later, so perfectly right um he uses her own words and harry selden's words against them uh and he's gonna prove he's he's gonna not not take it on himself to prove them wrong let let the people the powers they believe in prove them wrong it's yeah kind of genius and the threat is severe like how many people to take to take your star star bridge down uh you know it turns out two but like if you believe it's a handful it's it's two backwater planets if it's that if it was like you know a giant conspiracy. I have 3 trillion followers. Mm-hmm. What can I do if I want to cause problems? Um, sure. And yeah, other than abdicating the throne, there's no way they can placate her. So, right. All right, let's move on to Lewis getting a little too close to somebody else as they approach the airlock and Fucking the rail- Lewis, man. <laughs> rail guns come online, start shooting at him. Uh, the Imperial officer makes it to the airlock and opens it, shutting off the rail guns. And once inside, Farrah kills him. Because is this this seems premature plan. to kill this guy? I don't know if you're going to need his so nanobot too. blood. I, it, they they make the point very uh, soon after this that hey, we still need Harden, so maybe don't kill her. But I think the same might go for the guy with the Imperial blood. Yeah, I don't you know. to the bridge and it says, okay, okay, everything looks good. Engines are ready to go for a final step. We need an Imperial officer to, right. to thumbprint the hyper jump. Then destroying, <laughs> destroying the empire requires authorization. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. I like Farrah. Farrah seems like she's a little, got a little Ahab gene in her. She's yeah. a little bit, little bit cuckoo for revenge. Co-nuts. Uh, <laughs> I, and, and I don't know what's going to, where, where that, where, where that's going to take her. Yeah. I am surprised that Lewis even landed on this ring because he seems just like a fuck up all Dude. around. Yeah, he he really does. It's Although been thirty I, years I since say, he's done engineering, probably thirty years since he's done physical fitness training, uh, probably thirty years since he's got laid. I don't know. Yeah, we we're, we'll talk our shit about him, but I think he he <laughs> okay. kind of uh, he, he he raises my esteem of him a little bit by the end of this episode. We'll talk about mm. that. All right. Sure, I guess he could throw a punch or two. Uh, all right, Farah binds Salvor's hands as they venture into Invictus. Lots of uh, dead people in here. Environmental systems are down. They get it all turned back on. 
And then Pharaoh wants to turn off security, but they have to get closer to the bridge for that. So that's where they head after after taking off their suits. I, th- I guess, Dude. I guess, but it seems premature for that as well. These clear people have clearly not seen Covenant or Prometheus. Right, like, uh, right. You, you don't, don't, don't be too quick to take your suit off. There's dead bodies of nothing else. Do you know what kind of decay, what kind of like crazy uh, uh, archaic space herpes they've got on this ship? No, right? you don't know. Turn you around and know. get a corpse finger in the mouth. That is not good for you. I'm not, I'm not saying don't take your helmet off, but maybe like just keep everything, you know, like what, what if uh, another breach happens? What if mm-hmm. uh, the, the ship tries to pump full of neurotoxin to kill you? You, you? you don't know what kind of active defense. Just keep your keep your fucking suit on, man. It's crazy. I know. It's the same thing I thought. It's the same thing I always think. Uh, but, you know, they th- those suits, suits are uncomfortable. So I guess take them off. So they, they, they blow this going back to the previous scene. They blow the commander's head off. Like, or they, they, they put a round through his head. He goes flying off in the space. Mm-hmm. I wondered if like, <laughs> is Hugo going to like re- recoup his body and, and like be able to fill up his suits, oxygen or jet meters or like, I, I just wondered if like the commanders, I, I know this sounds mm-hmm. a little bit like the Swiss army man. <laughs> like yeah, like Hugo surf. come right into commander back uh, like a space jet ski. Yeah. I, I don't know about that, but like, do you think there's just going to be like the commander's free floating jetsam body is going to factor into Hugo's return, inevitable return to the plot? I don't think so. It, it, uh, hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. That would okay. that would seem a bit much. All right, all right. But who knows? Who knows? Uh, next up, Lewis notices that the lights are pulsing faster now and determines that this is a countdown to the next jump. We find out that the ship just does that. Uh, it just jumps randomly, has been for a hell of a long time. And they have four hours to get it under control before it jumps again. I think, I mean, technically they have until they die of dehydration or starvation, right? Well, so... Here's unless they jump into a celestial body. That's the only like real danger here. But but here's my huge problem. Won't they all go insane on the first jump? Oh, oh. And why is no one acting like that is like the true problem here? Is this an older type of jump drive that's slower and doesn't older that doesn't bend your brainy? But like my first thought is like. You know, when she's like, if we don't jump in four hours, we'll be star stark raving mad like these people, like, you know, like implying that, like, the space madness took all these people. But, like, they're worried about food and air and all the normal shit, like not like getting yeah, to no, your cryo right. chambers and sleeping through each jump. I I don't know. I like I said, it's it's possible that it's just an older jump drive. I can definitely smooth it over. But that was one uh, th- that was one uh, disbelief suspenser system that started to fluctuate on me when I'm like, wait a second. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I guess they do just have four hours. Uh, we'll see. If well, but I, say, I don't know that. Like that. That I don't think that's true because the show is not acknowledging it as if like, that's a problem I'm having with the situation. But it doesn't seem like the show uh, acknowledges that. So gotcha. Know, we'll find out. Uh, maybe these people just don't know that. Is that possible? That can't be possible. Ah, uh, there's no they know way. Too much. Well, I guess. Maybe the Anacreons never have taken a fast jump, but Lewis was alive. Yeah, when, they, yeah, they have to know how. They'd, they'd be like Trantor, not knowing yeah. the oxygen mass pop out of the plane sometimes when they're going right. down. Like even if you've never been on a plane, surely you've seen a movie or 
you, you've you've heard tell about the yeah. fact you got to cryo sleep through it, you know, for sure. Uh, okay, Dimmerzel suggests that they censor Halima's communication messages uh, to shut down her influence. Brother Day says, "Nah, I prefer to go on the offense against her uh, and Selden at the same time." And he decides to walk the Great Spiral to let the three goddesses decide who is right and who is wrong. This is a great play. I love it. This is using someone's strengths and turning them into weaknesses. If you can actually do it, you know. Oh, sure. It's very risky, I think. Well, like it's it's all fun and games to to volunteer. I'm going to save the kids rec center by running the marathon. And but what if you (laughs) four miles in? Yeah. Or what if you get like a half mile in? Like, ah, ah, I can't, you know, it's like, then, then you look like a giant asshole. So (laughs) it's a high risk, high reward strategy, especially since again, I don't know what the, I don't know what the rules are. Yeah. We don't know what the rules are, but I do know that they have backups of this dude. So I, it's not that risky to the empire. It's risky to this version of brother day, this particular clone. And also let's not kid ourselves. If you, if you stake the, your righteousness on this cause and then die and have to be reincarnated and it gets out, like it's going to look really bad for Mm. three trillion of the galaxy's inhabitants. For sure. If that information were to get out. Yeah. 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 But, who knows? Who knows what will happen? Maybe he'll just walk it and have no problem. I, I mean, maybe the, the, the nano blood will be the determining factor here. Maybe it's got because it does have healing properties, right? All those uh, the cut that she opens up on the Imperial officer heals over almost immediately. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't think he would like sunburn to death, but like, you know, got a shield technology provide water. It seems like that's it seems like it's a it seems like that this is a very hot desert planet. Mm hmm. Uh, that's salt encrusted. So like, it's like, I, I don't know. That makes it seem even thirstier. Like these people's skins are blistering and welting up and yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if a shield can protect you from exposure or nanobots. Cause like, can the nanobots make water eh, and food? Not. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. It's a good question. Maybe they have a way to like pull in moisture while the air is in their lungs. And like I said that, Again, Maybe. we are in magic technology, like that nano stuff, like instant heal things, the shield, mm-hmm. like all, all this stuff is like way beyond our ability to explain. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's his plan. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I kind it also of seems hope like it's just as grueling for him as the people in the camp. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Day humbled a little bit, but also yeah. like they have made a little bit of hay over. It does seem not very well spread, like the knowledge of how their shield stuff works. Because, you know, they had that scene with the uh, the pleasure palace worker where she didn't know, you know, she's one selected to touch Emperor Day and she doesn't know how to work the shield. So, like, I think it yeah. could be that his nanotech can keep him alive and maybe, uh, you know, Zephyr Halima won't be able to know like that he's had. I, I could see I could see this this working out like that. He's he's making a uh, a stacked wager. Sure. Could be. Um I think the least interesting way that this plays out is he just dies and fails publicly and has to be reincarnated. I don't think that's like has to be recloned. It's funny though. And the thing <laughs> is, is like, the, the thing is, is like they are telling a story of this like arrogant empire that's in decline, yeah. doesn't even know it. That's fooling themselves by their statisticians finding new b- benchmarks to like you know. Well, actually, it's not mm-hmm. you know. Um, and and. It could be. It could be just womp, womp, <laughs> and it leads to civil war, and that's where we're going to, you know, catch up to the oh, empire next boy. year. Yeah, I mean, maybe. yeah, like how desperate are things going to look? You know, especially since this guy, 
uh, he definitely he, he feels the footsteps of Harry Seldon right behind him. Like, oh yeah, this guy that that fear that that re, that 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 uh, that that engendered in him. Uh, you wonder how much of this is self fulfilling, like target fixation. They say in a motorcycle class, like if you ever like heading towards a tree. Don't look at the tree, look in the direction you want to go, because if you look the human body kind of course corrects and steers towards what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he has that kind of target fixation where it's like, yeah. you know, like and then another thing that like Harry, by informing him about the predictions of, of psycho history are making those predictions even more accurate. I think that stuff yeah. is fascinating to think about, too. Could be. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we go back to the Imperial Palace where Brother Don spots Azura planting a note for him. He follows it to a private part of the garden where he takes off his shield bracelet and they make love. He, he takes it all off, not just the bracelet. Uh, that would be weird. Afterward, never nude. Always <laughs> yeah. shield, never nude. <laughs> Afterwards, she gives him devices designed to correct his colorblindness, but he can't use them for fear of his differences being discovered. And those differences are much more than just the colorblindness. Uh, she asked if it would be so terrible if he were discovered, and he says, uh, come with me. I've got to show you a few things about life in the Imperial Palace. And he takes her to the clone facility, and also to see Cleon the First, and explains to her how, you know, they have clones as backups just in case uh, they need them for any reason, need to replace him. Uh, and Azura suggests that he hack his face and hack his blood, filter his blood, take take all that shit out and run away with her. And he doesn't he doesn't go for that. Seems a little extreme, but he does let or he does watch her kind of taking public transit on the way home, I guess. Um via in the scar via this hologram dragonfly transmitter thing that he had earlier. Um and then Brother Dust comes in, interrupts the hollow session and uh, Don says, I was just learning about the rest of Trantor, and Brother Dusk says, there is no rest of Trantor. Trantor is us. Uh, everything that happens outside the palace walls is irrelevant. Which is amazingly myopic. I I think it would be funny if uh, Don takes the express route to see the gardener every time. I just, that's my head cannon. Like, he sees her outside the suicide balcony, and he just, like, jumps down there. <laughs> oh, oh, that Straight, express give me some, give me some, give me, give me some of that wolf bloom. I, I need some for the pain. But he's just like yeah. he's, he's over. He's over walking downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, another nice touch. They they uh, they they airbrushed out his uh, belly button. Uh, oh, okay. I remember seeing that with Brother Dark and thinking, you know, it's from a distance, and I didn't know if it was. But like this, yeah, they they just uh, uh, remove that. You don't you don't need belly buttons when you're a clone. Um, no, you got the back butt. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I thought this was interesting that this is not just one aberration. This is not just one deviation. Yeah, that he's got several. He mentions the color blindness. He laces his thumbs differently. He tastes differently. He's you know like their favorite meal tastes bitter to them, which I've heard that like like fifteen percent of the population broccoli tastes bitter to, which explains like why some people just don't get with broccoli. Yeah, um, um, I think I think basil is the same way. It tastes like soap to some people. Or is it cilantro? I heard cilantro, cilantro has a soapy yes, taste for some people. That's yeah. the one. 
But yeah, like, you know, he eats the starches before meats. They eat their meats before starches, uh, which is if you're going to a buffet, that's the only way to be. You don't want to load up oh, on yeah. those starches, man. That's that's what they want you to do. You want to you want to hit them where it hurts right in the meat department. Mm hmm. Uh, I don't know why there's like every time you step up to a buffet, it's a declaration of war. I I don't know why that is, but okay, (laughs) it's capitalism. It's guy. We're just trying to maximize our our individual value. It's true. Uh, So there's a lot lot of fascinating things here. Let me let me let me let me make a couple of statements of fact and let me see if you agree with me. It is established in this episode that they take all the clones from the source. Yes. The, that's why we have a body of what they call the uh, Princep, wasn't it? Yeah, Principient. Um, the Principient, yeah. Yes, uh, he which, very specifically words this to say this is the the Cleon from whom we're all extracted, not from from which we all you know derive descend. our lineage or descend or... Anything yeah, else that, is extracted. That, now, like, I could see them Obi-Wan Kenobi weaseling that into being, you know, something more. But, like, I think that's fairly un, un, unambiguous unless, you know, mm-hmm. some other Cleon comes out or Dimmerzel says, no, that's buck fucking bullshit. We're just making copies of copies. I, so. I, I, why wouldn't you, right? Like, I know DNA has a half-life, but it's in, I think, the tens of thousands of years. It's. Or or something along those lines, maybe the thousands right. of years. So I think they're still well within the window of useful genetic material from Cleon the first. So why wouldn't you? And do you think that it's in in the four hundred year genetic dynasty? Do you think they've ever had to pop a clone out of uh, decantation? Do you think they've ever had the uh, or uh, unscheduled clone decanting like because they've lost a Cleon or a Cleon went bad or something? Do you think that this has ever happened? Because the way the Cleon was talking and the fact that these clones are ready at hand uh, seems to me that, that, that it's mm-hmm. the, the the odds are very low to me that this mm-hmm. has never happened before. If it has happened, I think the only person who would have any knowledge of that would be Dimmerzel, right? Probably unless Although the clones experience their own, you know, uh, hatching, I guess, unless the clones are aware enough to realize that they haven't just woken up in their bed. They've yeah. been pulled out of a tank. I would think she'd be well, the only that, one that noticed or to see, know. I was thinking that that uh, like, let's say that they replace this Cleon with a new one. If he's got his memories synced up, then he will have the awareness of the fact that the previous version of him was defective and it's been replaced with something that's not, I think. Yes. You know, what, what would that Does experience he taint be like? All the clones after him is what you're saying? Well, potentially? Here's, a que- here's a theory I have. This is a crackpot theory. There's very little evidence in the text. What if essentially all the Cleons have a little bit of a defect? And there is some sort of te- part part of the last thing you do before you get like blessed to go on to be dawn day is you have to prove that you can deal with that without going, you know, up in your feeling like like maybe every one mm-hmm. of them has a defect that they conceal from the others. And that that's like a vital part of the clone process that you have to come to grips with, you know, that you that, that it's, it's a real act like you have to act like the identical copy, even though you're not necessarily. Because I just don't understand why it would go wrong 400 years. Like, if they're sampling from the source, why it would suddenly go wrong after 400 years? Yeah, I mean, that's the question we're definitely supposed to be asking. Um, and I, I guess my question would be, what what is with Brother Dusk's words 
to Don at the end of this scene where he says, you know, this it's something that's innate. All all of these things, this poise, this this punctuality, all of that is innate to Cleons. Yeah. Uh, whereas other people have to be taught it and and earn it. Um that that I I think conflicts with the idea that there would be something wrong with every clone. I wonder if that's but one of the roles. But he may be speaking the, in a certain, you know, certain well, point of that view, might be one of the roles kind of, of the dusk. The the brother dusk is to like be the kind of the last person that that passes the sniff test, and maybe that's there's something because I I've been kind of discounting everyone saying oh the last brother darkness said there's something wrong. Maybe that is like maybe he didn't know something was wrong, and mm-hmm. that's kind of his role. And and Demerzel kind of shoved him into the oven a little bit. Um, Could be. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, that's a, that's a crackpot theory. That's the fact that all the Cleons and it's kind of like this this paranoid war of them trying to conceal their problems from each other. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe they all because of the way it is, they all feel like they're the only ones that know this. And maybe that's part of like making the genetic dynasty work. I, I don't know. Um, maybe maybe that the original Cleon uh, wanted there to be slight genetic flaws in all of his copies just so they never eclipse him. Hmm. Uh you know, sometimes you have that problem with mentors when your mentee starts to surpass you. It's like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to be that brilliant. You know, just enough to reflect your brilliance back on me. Uh, I don't know because there's a there's a dichotomy here too between uh, like I really liked what they like the one Cleon said when she says, "Well, they can't replace you, your empire." And he's like, "I'm no more empire than this guy, and mm-hmm. no more empire than the guy in the last chamber." And I thought that was interesting. And then the dichotomy between how the empire feels about the scar. It's their greatest yes. failure versus the people living in the scar, seeing this as an uh, uh, opportunity and growth, because I don't know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, clearly physically just being able to see the sky. If you're 50 floors down and the roof just got torn <laughs> off, you can see the real sky. Yeah, but literally there seems to be some something about the scar and opportunity for like advancement. And uh, well, it's a change of know, perspective, right? It's, it's a disruption of the status quo. And we're going through that right now in our society with COVID. Um, sure. We, we have a something is happening, right? Something is changing. It used to it used to be a certain way and people are yeah, reevaluating how their lives are going to go. Um, we can. Yeah, whether you're going to fast food, whether you're ordering mm-hmm. stuff off Amazon, whether you're going to, we're all feeling like the supply line disruptions, the labor Where you're market gonna work, whether you're going to work, all um, that stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so any disruption to the status quo is uh, an opportunity, right? You can you can certainly see it that way if you're one of these underclasses. Yeah, what's that? Uh, they say the Chinese word for crisis is the two words of danger and opportunity mm-hmm. because you know. They are. Yeah. Uh, I think Harry Seldon might agree with that as well. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, they also outline a, pro- a process by which a prince or a, an emperor might flee, like, like pull a man in the iron mask or, uh, you know, like, like, like switch out with his twin. Mm-hmm. Um, a little face off, a little nano filtering. And I feel like she's just naive or she's yeah. literally a satanic temptation. This is yet another mm-hmm. control on the empire that they, they, you know, I, that, but that, that I go back to my objection of this being a plot because like, how the hell do you put this person in the place where he was going to commit suicide out here? I, I don't know. Unless everyone mm-hmm. that kind of is in roughly the sphere of the emperors is also a, 
emperor going crazier off the script kind of like detection tool which I, hell maybe maybe i don't know yeah i'm gonna leave uh psycho history in the purview of of the foundation and harry yeah. selden um I, I don't think the the empire has these sort of predictive capabilities i think they're more reactive it's more of a a, a system of control kind of like i think the mm-hmm. uh the gossamer court that felt very much like something the old Cleon put together to like spy on his younger clones. Like, you know, uh, yeah, they, they, their memories are wiped before they go off world, but not before brother dust gets to sift through the things for tidbits about, you know, I, I it's like checks and balances. It feels like all these dawns mm-hmm. and days and dust, they have slightly different responsibilities and rules and restrictions and freedoms. And I, it's gotta be something that they kind of keep each other in check. It's got to be. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, that could certainly be in place. But when you're talking about putting a specific person in a specific place at a specific time and assuming that they will have specific feelings about that person as opposed to yeah. catching a glimpse of the, the gardener across the courtyard and, you know, having the hots for her or whatever. It, it, it's yeah, th- there are too many assumptions there. There's too many coincidences and necessities of timing and and. I just don't buy that that could be a control mechanism. I, I think Gosper Court definitely could be. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how. Although deep I guess the, the other thing is uh, the, the Master of Shadows could like even if she's not like it, it's entirely possible he's leaned heavy on her, threaten her family and be like, you've got to play along with this because we're test. I, like I said, this is all wild, stark raving, crazy. Consp- I wouldn't After read this fact, feedback sure. if I sent it to myself on the show. Uh-huh. I'd be like, this is thin shit, but, you know. <laughs> this is not supported. Yeah, there, at all. There's a little bit of benefit to being behind the microphone. <laughs> sure. Uh, all right, let's move on to the third part of this episode, the Harry Selvin bit. Uh, he's still writhing around on the floor of the ship that Gale is on, or at least his uh, hollow image is. Um, but apparently it's more than that. His consciousness was uploaded, uh, to the ship, but it was incomplete. And I don't know what incomplete means here. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that, but Gail manages to sort of talk him back to reality here. And Harry's in disbelief that Raish called such a huge audible on his plan since Gail was supposed to be in charge of the first foundation on Terminus. Gail tells Harry that Raish is dead. And then he goes back to writhing around and screaming. Uh, holy yeah. shit that's a big deviation right am i crazy yeah no <laughs> we we were thinking like man this is a lot of audibles called and like yeah harry's the ghost of harry confirms that shit that's a lot of audibles i'm having an existential crisis about it that might kill the ship <laughs> even more uh, so though i didn't realize that gail was supposed to be the leader of the foundation that that is that huge. made sense. I, I also, like to, totally I also like the shot to take at Lewis where it's like, Lewis is in charge. Oh, he's a, he can settle the planet, but the first crisis, they'll be the fold like an accordion. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Poor Lewis uh, from beyond the grave. <laughs> uh, he spits at the, do you, um, so I, I actually, I don't know what it means to have an incomplete, uh, transfer or to be interrupted yeah. violently or whatever, but it does seem like one of the symptoms is it keeps you stuck in the loop of you being in your death throes. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting the way they depicted Gail, like almost talking Harry through a panic attack is what it felt like. Right. You know, like, Hey, this you're in here now, this isn't some past trauma. 
you know, it, it's 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 kind of like the way you would uh, talk someone through like a, like a panic attack or hyperventilation or something like that. That so uh, mm-hmm. I felt like it wasn't uh, whatever the you know defrag state of his hard drive is that it's not something that's fatal. It's just something that is hard for a human consciousness to wrap its mind around. Yeah, very disorienting. Um, yeah, yeah. And by the end of the episode, he seems to be pretty much back to normal. Normal Harry Seldon. Uh, in digitized yeah. form, but who knows? Maybe some glitches will manifest later. But it's it must be and and it must be some some big psychohistory problem because he completely has a mental breakdown mm-hmm. and another panic attack over finding that Raish is is dead. Uh, to the extent that the ship stops working, um. I wonder if it's going to be easier for him to examine and analyze psychohistory now that he's got the computing power of potentially infinite numbers of computers. Maybe free from to a human ego brain and some of the other passions and like, you know, the, his maybe. candid. Uh, we, maybe. We're not this set, to, but like his candid uh, evaluation is the reason that uh, he didn't die on Trantor is because he's afraid of dying. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't want to die. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm assuming assimilation will not suffer from that flaw. But again, I like you. I'm. I don't. Like I said, I'm. I'm not balking at the idea of this memory transfer. It's a well, well worn science fiction concept. But what? What exactly does it mean? Because if it's mm-hmm. if it's if it's a literal copy, I don't know why Cleon doesn't do that. Like like why isn't you just literally transfer your consciousness again and again and again, or just have I mean, one artificial kind construct? Of that's, are too right? It's it's not. But they don't. They don't. But they do to their own clones. It's weird. Like they get the stream of yes. consciousness into the clone that is their age, but not. Maybe it's like oh well, an undeveloped mind couldn't handle this this the particular way we do this. So you only get it when you're a certain age. I I don't know. Yeah, I, I I was wondering that myself. Like, what are the rules around it? Because mm-hmm. if you have this perfect memory consciousness transfer that you can pull off, why wouldn't you do it? But there again, like, yeah. it's an open question of like, is this because we know that that first few cloning processes were kind of um, like unique things, you know, the never before will an old Cleon uh, hand over the reins to a newborn child, you know, like from there. So like, and, and presumably Demerzel had a lot to do with the ritual and, you know, the rules and restrictions and, um, you know, like why can't brother dusk go visit the cloning facilities when brother Don can just bring his fucking secret girlfriend in there. Right. I was going to say for a secret cloning facility, they know every single one seems to know an awful lot about it. Yeah. I do wonder. Yeah. I wonder like how much of this is like Cleon's original plan and how much of this is Demerzel coloring outside the lines and how much of it is just cultural drift and like the subtle whims of empires since. But, but yeah, maybe the idea was to transfer his consciousness and the baby wasn't ready in time. So they came up with this, this other plan instead. I, Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know, but there could be some surprises in store for us. There could be. I mean, the, the obvious biggest thing that, Harry Seldon's consciousness upload does is it resurrects him pretty effectively um, and allows him to continue to pull strings if he would so choose. I do wonder more Jared Harris huzzah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it enables us to see more Jared Harris. Uh, I do wonder why he needs to be at, in at Helicon or if he needs to be there at all. Maybe he just wants to be there. Maybe this is a sentimental place for him to be not necessarily <sighs> a good strategic swallow. place for him to be. 
Uh, and and why yeah, why Raish? Why send Raish here? Like, what is what what does he need? Um, yeah, to be retrieved. Uh, and 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 is this mission even possible now that you've got Gale? Um, right. Yeah, but we 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 can we can hold off some of that discussion for the next because we haven't even gotten to the most the most Harry Seldon yet. Yeah, for sure. Um, first, we're gonna go back to Farah's group encountering an energy barrier, which Salvor disables. And then they enter an area with toxic floor sludge. I don't know. It's a it's cooling system for the old jump drives. And they decide to fight the Anacreons. Uh, they lose one Foundation scientist and an Anacreon to the sludge. And then Ferris spells out her plan for Invictus, which is to jump it right to Trantor and destroy the entire planet. Uh, I wonder how these cooling pools work when the environmental systems are turned off and there's no gravity. Mm, well if it's, uh, so here's what i think this always is gravity in this area i think this is the nuclear technology that we lost from the books i think uh, nuclear technology was used to power the old jump drives um and this is the the cooling system for that and so if that's the case so, you would pretty much constantly need it to be cooled right um those, those yeah, things don't really shut if you're off jumping every couple uh, every random interval and this jump drive apparently either essentially has an infinite power to draw from or never needs recharging or doesn't need fueling for a long long time yeah yeah uh, uh so i I, yeah. I don't know maybe i'm assuming too much here but that's well that's that, i mean I that, like i said i think that i mean i'm i'm hoping the show didn't forget something like you go crazy if you're folding space but like mm-hmm. you might be right that this is an entirely like we're not going to have a giant black hole in the middle of these rings it's going to be like you said the nuclear technology that's like older more uh archaic but uh doesn't make you go crazy so i mean i assume it would have to still have a similar mechanism of travel like you'd have to fold space i I don't know. It depends on how closely they're going to adhere to what we understand about physics currently. Um, yeah. Because, yeah, they well, could they just make a magic, but then I don't know why go to the crazy making uh, black hole jump drives instead it's of gotta the... be faster. Like, that's the thing. It's like there's you wouldn't you wouldn't unless it uh, yeah. has some kind of advantage. Yeah. So um, that, sure, and that maybe it's faster. And, and also, like, I'll, I'll I uh it wouldn't be the first science fiction show to fuck up their own canon. So like if they, they if, if they just overlook the fact that there's space madness because, you know, whatever various reason they want to gesture to, okay. I'm not going to get too pissed about it. Yeah. Uh all right, and then let's talk about this final scene here. Harry is gone and so is a life support inside Gale's ship and she's dying, but then Harry comes back and saves her. Um he's now inside the computer. I don't know. Uh, Harry explains why he had to die and how it set up the foundation for future success. And then Gail gets all pissed off because his plan was more important to her than Raish and her being together. And she calls him a hypocrite because he didn't let the Emperor kill him, even though it would have meant that the plan fell into place much earlier and just as guaranteed. And Harry presses Gail about why she was in his cabin when Raish killed him. She says, "Ah, I had a premonition. And then she realizes she can feel the future and she catches a stray piece of debris that would have killed her. Uh, you have yeah. to ask yourself, if she didn't have the premonition, would she have been standing in the place where the debris would have it's killed true. her? It's, so it's, it's really a very, later. yeah, very, would you have broken the vase? Would you have eaten the cookies matrix kind of thing? 
I do notice that Harry comes back and he's much more composed and he's much more mm-hmm. colder. Like, you know, this uh, essentially you knew what you're getting into. Don't give me this. You know, don't complain and cry now. Um, this is a Harry that the die has been cast and it's too late to back out. And he's not going he's going to use every bit of emotional leverage and manipulation he can to keep you on on task, which it's interesting because, you know, Harry's. I think this is the least friend. Like this feels a lot more like like for uh, early season. Uh, Harry was much more like early books Dumbledore and Harry Potter, and then like this, he's turning into late stage Dumbledore, where it's like, oh, he's actually manipulating a child to <laughs> to his own death for his own for his own ends. Um, hmm. I I think that there's so the other thing they revealed. I think this is something we surmised too that he was already dying. Yeah, he had this Lethe syndrome, which we don't know what it is, but it's some kind of like super space Alzheimer's. It was going to cause a severe cognitive decline. And so it wasn't just, hey, this needs a martyr and a mythical figure to lead them, but also I'm going to die anyway. So what's the biggest bang for the buck? Well, not even just Um, I'm going to die anyway, but I need to die before I lose my martyrdom, before I lose the symbol of what I am currently. Right. Because if he devolves into uh a raving lunatic or whatever some crackpot as he says people aren't going to follow him yeah Yeah. psychohistory will die with him so yeah he has to prematurely kill himself here and how much of his own life has been a performance so this is the and this is the crucial thought between predicting individuals behavior and an individual's behavior affecting the state of psychohistory that like i think this is a great example of him you know saying that like uh you know, but you wanted to found the foundation. You wanted. And he's like, yeah, I said that as loudly and as often as I could because he was building the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that narrative built, he could be confident that when X, Y, Z happened, that it would make A, B, C happen. So that's like I said, we're seven episodes in. I think if you're not getting comfortable with the distinction between individual predictions and and this uh, engineering the narrative, then you're going to have a bad time going forward. Yeah, but um, so was she so like because um, I, I couldn't the first time I watched this, I couldn't quite figure out what was happening here with her holding this. Di- but I guess the idea was she was starting to get worried about uh, this debris disc. Mm-hmm. It looks like an accreation disc for a black hole. They're calling it a dark star. I think dark star and black hole are probably roughly synonymous. Yeah. Um, but she was carrying essentially like a, like a piece of armor plating for like, mm-hmm. if, if, uh, a micrometeor were hit the outside of the hole, she could slap that and right. That's, is that what she uh-huh. thought it was too? Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what I'm assuming. Cause the show doesn't, a lot of times the technology doesn't explain what the hell's going on. It just it expects you to kind of like, uh, uh catch up as, as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing this scene does, I think is, well, it, it confirms a lot of the theories about. Uh, her seeing the future that we had, but also I think it starts to firm up a little bit what's going on with Harden as well. Um, if it, it, there's still that missing sure. piece of like wh- who Salvor Harden is, but I think it's becoming clearer and clearer that these powers of of foresight are connected, and that she is probably Gale's child. Yeah, it's definitely looking to be that. That's all. That's all lining up. The whole. Uh... You know, Gale plus Rache equals Salvor uh, theory so is looking to be a more and more of a fact. And yeah. I, I, I wonder if that's why uh, Harry. So my question is, 
did Harry already know that Gale was special in this way through some weird way, like of deduction or like arriving at the test parameters to find a person that would be this special? Um, or was he freaking out that he didn't account for a thing and he went withdrew into the ship and did some advanced calculation, which caused the ship to essentially shut down all vital functions except for his thinking process. And when he came back online, he had refactored, he had surmised her capabilities and refactored it back in, which is why he's much more calming, calmer and leading her to this revelation about herself. I hadn't considered that, but it seems plausible. Because he definitely understands that something is going on with her. And like I said, when he comes back after that, that uh, where she's like dying on the floor, he's just so much more composed and like back to the professor at the blackboard with all the variables in hand, mm-hmm. chalk, chalk in, chalk in his is at his fingertips back. You know, like he felt like back in control and he knew he didn't need Gail to tell him all these things. He was leading her to understand something about herself. I, I, I thought that. uh you know, again, this is the third step. Martin revolved kind of slap or re- reveal slappy with the, the truth. But like the way they did that with the editing where she was kind of like stuck in her own little loop analogous to the, maybe Harry's loop is death loop mm-hmm. uh, of, of realization of what was going on and her true nature and why she's special and all the things, you know, any, if you've missed any of them, the fact that she foreknew the destruction of the star g- g- bridge, the fact that she had some lines of dialogue fed to her before the fact that she's able to open her eyes during the space thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I was thinking about JJ Johnson's uh, feedback this week where he was talking about uh, Gail, like being unstuck mentally uh, in time, man, it, it seemed like to make a lot more sense because it doesn't feel like standard precog so much as she is just a little, just, just like just a couple seconds ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might. I, I I didn't think much of that at the time I was reading it, but this this episode, I felt like that is a little bit that 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 quickly looping kind of realization uh, uh, vignette that they were showing us. I thought that that's maybe where they're pointing. What do you do you do you see what I'm saying, or do you not agree? Or yeah, I mean, on that? it seems to be something that isn't conscious on her part, right? Um, it just kind of comes to her, and it and it doesn't happen. It's not happening constantly. It's just. Every once in a while, I wonder if there's any connection between the things that she's been uh, foreseeing and their meaning. Yeah, it's like I want to say that it it happened like what happened to her during the hyperspace jump is what caused it. But like if she didn't have something special about her, why would she wake up in the middle of the hyper jump? Like that Mm -hmm. never happens. Like the show has established that that literally never happens. The spacers like, what the fuck are you doing awake? You know? Yeah, I mean, this, the clone differences, are these accidents or are these things that are happening for bigger reasons? I don't know. I don't know. Are they engineered? Is it possible that hint, uh, that Harry somehow paid off uh, or like somehow engineered her exposure to this the warp, knowing that she would develop this ability, that it would be... But I don't know. The guy, the that Harry coming tough. back to life seemed like he was freaking the fuck out about all this stuff. So I, uh, I don't know that he accounted for that. Yeah, there's a lot he didn't account for here. Uh, this is, like I said, a big audible. Uh, we'll see how it plays out going forward. But I'm excited, man. Uh, I know a, if you've listened to our our David S. Goyer interview, 
that we just posted this past week, you know that coming up is one of his favorite episodes this season, season uh, episode eight. So the favorite episode, yeah, yeah, and they have set up a lot of interesting stuff. So I'm excited. I I think we're gonna get to Helicon. We're gonna see what Harry is driving toward here uh, by going there. We're gonna start to see, you know, more of the battle unfold over on the Maiden. Uh, yeah, I'm super excited for this next week. And I love that ending shot of that long, cold blue hallway that opens out into the little observation deck just bathed in the hellish red light of Helicon. I also think like, man, what's it like to live on Helicon? Because like, yeah, you just live like you're, you're like in a McDonald's, like like a, uh, a warmer, a French fry warmer, you know, just constantly bathed in this, well, this, this mean, red demonic light. We'll see. I don't even know what this planet looks like at this point with a dark star. Uh, that it's orbiting and this debris field like surely there's not like an active civilization on this planet right anyone with even half a brain would have gotten off this place long ago seems like it uh but but then again something like this doesn't half a brain this doesn't happen in harry's lifetime either so harry was born on helicon which means there must still be an active civilization as of like 60 years ago and 60 years is not a dark star kind of time period, right? No, 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 no. So well, here's one. Here's one thought I had when I saw that, like, everything's like super fucking red. And, you know, if you've ever worked in an environment like a dark room or if you're, you ever use like a red flashlight to just not destroy your night vision. You I know, love that, to like, drink distorts- milk in, in red rooms. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Oh, Jesus. That thick, thick. Yeah, like, bl- yeah, OK. All right, vampire. Uh <laughs> <laughs> the uh but but it completely distorts your sense of color and i wonder yeah. if they're like this is another incoming aaron crackpot theory but i wonder if there's something related to the empire being red green colorblind with harry selden Love growing it. up on a planet that only is bathed in red light so mm-hmm. i wonder i like i, I, I don't it's i don't have a theory for how those things intersect but of Harry's there is something yeah. there's a potential there's a potential uh tie-in there because Seems like you'd have uh, similar kind of vision challenges when it comes to differentiating color. Harry is spawned from a long line of dragonfly robots. (laughs) Which is how he's able to upload his consciousness. Mm. There's going to be a a whole (laughs) nano cloud of dragonfly drones. Mm -hmm. Very cool. All right, that's it, man. I think we've exhausted all possible talking points. We've, we've got a, we've got a solid foundation. You've heard from mm-hmm. us. You've heard from our, about our crackpot theories. Uh, what about yours? If you uh, have some ideas, some questions, comments, uh, insights, predictions, send those in to foundation at baldmove.com. Of course, we're going to take the weekend to absorb what we've just seen. And uh, we'll come back next week to do a feedback episode. That'll be out Tuesday. But you can send all those thoughts to foundation at baldmove.com and uh, we will consider them. And if we have time, read them. Uh, that's it for this week. I uh, can't wait to see this, whatever. I mean, there's got like the, the favorite episode is the eighth. Uh, he described the tenth as some fucked up shit happening, I believe. Uh, so there's some some bangers, as, as you come to expect from prestige dramas or I guess pulp prestige science fiction opera dramas. A lot of times the penultimate and ultimate episodes are doozies, but apparently episode eight's a real humdinger too. I'm excited. I can't wait to see it. Uh, tell us what you think. Foundation of baldmove.com. And until the next time, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>